Welcome to the Basement Astrologers, coming to you live from the middle of the Middle West in above average St. Paul, Minnesota, and the beautiful Pacific Northwest in Puyallup, Washington. My name is Kip, and with me is Meredith from Earthling Astrology. Hello. And we're here to guide this Boy Scout troop. We are coming to you on April 3rd. No, it's May 3rd. May 3rd. 2019 at 8.29 a.m. Pacific Coast time. Uh, So, Meredith, you have some topics for us today. But before we start, I want to make sure uh, you're talking about what's going on with you. Um, And this might come out a little bit after um, you have one of your big events. But still, please bring it up. Uh, Yes, just one more time. Gemini Brett will be in St. Paul on May 18th talking uh, about the soul and the Emerald Tablets of Hermes. So I'm very excited for his presentation. And then later that night, we'll have a super secret full moon uh, ceremony. And it's a Scorpio full moon. So we got to We got to make it secretive. (laughs) Um, And other than that, I'm trying to think uh, with my brain right now what else I have going on. I have a bunch of May events. You can see them on my website, earthingastrology.com slash events to see where I will be. And then another thing coming up I'm excited about is uh, my mentor, Moon Zlotnik, will uh, be having a book signing and release on June 15th, 7 to 9 p.m. in Minneapolis. I'm also going to throw that on my webpage once I get all the details from her. So please stop by. She'll be reading a passage. And I'm excited for her book because I don't think it's been done before. It's a a hybrid between it's an astrology book and a memoir about uh, losing her twin sister. So I am super excited to finally read that book and get my signed copy and to hear her speak about it on June 15th in Minneapolis. Awesome. So I have been taking a break with local activities while we figure out where we're going to live. But we're now moving to Tacoma. (gasps) My in-laws are in Tacoma. When when do you move? Uh, probably early summer. Okay, so I'll be there in August. I'll stop by and see the new the new digs. Killer. Um, yeah. So just bringing this up, if you know anyone to, in Tacoma, um, I live in the North End, and I'm hoping to do some community stuff just right around the house. Perfect. All right, Meredith, you have the topics for today, so I'm going to let you introduce them. Yeah, what I wanted to talk to you about, Kip, is more just of our kind of backstories on what led us to astrology and what kind of nailed our belief or like, wow, this is legit. This isn't, you know, what we were told as kids by NASA or whatever, whatever led us to be like, wow, this is, this is real. And then I want to move on to working now that we're reading for people and, and uh, doing mundane astrology, how to get over bias. Uh, I am, that's kind of, that's a hot button topic for me because in any profession you can run into bias. And I just wanted to kind of talk to you about how you deal with it and try and stay objective when you're doing readings. And then finally, we will maybe talk a little bit about constellational versus sign astrology because Kip, I'm sure you get it like I do as well. Hey, there's 13 signs. How does that work? Um, And I get those questions a lot and I have a very simple answer, which seems to go over well, but it's again, kind of a hot topic button in astrology. There's two, well, more than two, probably very different forms of practice. And we can maybe uh, freestyle a little bit about that as well at the end. Sounds great. So, yeah, no, I want to ask you questions. I'll be the interviewer today. So, Kip, all I know is you have been studying astrology for maybe a Jupiter cycle now. Um, What planted the seed? I assume you didn't study it as a young lad or teenager. Uh, What planted the seed? And then what, how long did it take for you to be like, 
wow, this is crazy. I'm going to dive into this more. And there is some truth that resonates with me. Well, amongst the squares that I spent most of my youth uh, hanging about with, um, the squares and the jocks, I was definitely the hippie friend. Uh, And then even when I got into college, I was really into um, spending time um, thinking uh, about big topics. I have a philosophy degree and a cultural studies degree. Uh, So there's a lot of woo in both of those fields, even if they're not stressed by the academy. Um, But then I I met some hippie friends. I went to a couple uh, rainbow gatherings. I was super into yoga, which was pretty mainstream then. But again, this is close to 20 years ago at this point. Um, Then I took a, you know, post-college, I spent, I was a chef, um, basically until I did a couple years of AmeriCorps and ended up in law school. Now, I bring all this up because um, it wasn't until I actually got to the point of of having intellectual free time, right? I, I like had a permanent job and was kind of on my own to study. So when I was uh, cooking, um, my intellectual free time was invested in cooking. When I was in college, my intellectual free time was invested um, in my studies and a lot of literature. Um, it, even in high school, my intellectual free time was really wrapped up in athletics. Um, but I got this opening and uh Digging around, um, I, I got to listen to a couple of really great lectures uh, by people I still like. One of the first was Ke- uh, Kelly Lee Phipps, who I talk about on the show. And uh, just right away when I saw the complexity of the system and, and understood the multi layers of, of how it works and how uh, you have an opportunity to take a step back uh, from how we consume the world and, and kind of think of it in a symbolic manner. I mean, I was just hooked right away, and it's been a daily um, practice, a daily study uh, for me since. Okay, so when you were younger, you weren't really drawn to it. I mean, you saw the newspaper horoscopes and maybe the Chinese placemats and, you know, your animal and things like that, but you weren't really called in your younger years. Did you think it was bullshit, or did you just were you just kind of neutral? I didn't know enough about it. Um, I would say that... Um, I was probably more of a materialist realist. Uh, I was more interested in what science had to tell me, especially until I got kind of maybe later in high school, early in college and um, just sort of, you know, your brain opens up a little bit. Um, At least it did for me. Uh, And then I just never read, if I would have run into an astrologer, maybe it would have been different, but I didn't. It wasn't as popular then. I knew, um, especially young ladies at the time who had tarot cards or even runes, it was never a big thing. I did end up, um, you know, spending a lot of time with a bunch of uh, rainbow gathering folk. Um, and there was a deep uh, sense of spirituality amongst that group and those people. But I would say at the time, it was almost more shamanic, uh, mm-hmm. plant medicine involved, but also lots of meditation, lots of dance, lots of uh, rhythmic movement um, all together, that type of thing. And uh, just, you know, there wasn't a structure to it. And I think astrology gave me that and gave me something to invest in. And I, I would say that the fact that I had spent so many years of my life studying, there was always something I was studying. Yeah. Astrology was attractive because there was so much to study. There's, I could study every day, all day for the rest of my life and wouldn't get to all of it. Right. That's true. That's what I like about it, too. So there wasn't one person or one book 
or one thing. It was just kind of, it just kind of flowed into your life and you picked it up and haven't put it down. That's really the way it was. Um, it was kind of, you know, the big leaping point was definitely my Pluto square, which happened between 37 and 38. It was an intense period. Um, you know, and this is a podcast in and of itself, but Pluto oftentimes um, is a door to a different world. And if you have the opportunity to step through, um, you know, you transform yourself. And that's certainly what happened. I went from someone who um, was always interested, was paying attention, had this body of knowledge and really transformed myself into someone who lived it and breathed it. And part of that was uh, taking Adam Ellenboss's course where uh, there were uh, weekly study groups, um, lectures from Adam. There was tons of homework during the week, additional lectures to listen to. You know, it was really an immersion process. Okay. And he was your, uh, so far, your only professional teacher or have you studied or taken courses from other people? Well, I've taken courses. Um, I have never studied individually with anyone else. Okay. So like online courses, I do that too. Once in a while, I'll purchase a quick course on Black Moon. Oh, there are amazing lectures. I know there are. Well, cool. Um, So it's what's kind of parallel between us is I got crazy about astrology during a Pluto transit as well. And I will honestly use the word obsessed when Pluto was transiting my natal Mercury. Uh, I didn't know that at the time (laughs) when I was starting to get into it, but that led me down, you know, the rabbit hole of just like you, I've been studying it every day since. And for me, it was someone making a non kind of offhanded comment that might not mean anything to anyone else, but I was in a Reiki class and someone just said, I was talking about dreaming because you know I do a lot of dream work and I, that's kind of, my dreams have led me to astrology. And this person said, yeah, my, my dreams change depending on what's going on in the sky and where the planets are. I was like, what? Um, I thought that was just kind of cool. And I'm like, I'm going to try that. And I'm like, oh, that's astrology. I didn't know that's astrology. Um, so I found a teacher online and this is at a time of my life where I was kind of going, a little bit crazy. I was going through a spiritual emotional crisis. That's what I call it. And as soon as I found my first teacher, she came over and laid out the charts on my kitchen table and they were hieroglyphics, you know, at that time. I'm like, what is that? And she said something and that hit me in my soul and I will keep it private. But I was like, how did you know that? Looking at pieces of paper, I was blown away. And after that, I'm like, tell me your secrets, right? Um, And then she taught me for, I think, about six, eight weeks, came over to my house kind of thing. And then I moved on to Moon, who I studied with. I think I took 48 weeks of classes with her, I want to say. Yeah. Um, She offered 12-week courses, and I think I took four of them, maybe three. Um, But yeah, I studied under her for years, and I've read zillions of books, taken more online courses that kind of thing. But um, yeah, for me, it was just two people who I didn't really even know saying things. And I'm like, wow. And then I found out, you know, being a former astronomy club president, pretty good at math and science and all that kind of stuff. It just kind of landed in my lap. And it's a combination of everything I've ever been interested in, even the mystical aspect of it. Um, I've always been drawn to things you can't explain and the mystical spiritual side of things. And I consider now astrology the kind of science and study of spirit. Um, so yeah, that's what did it for me. I like to say astrology is open source mysticism. Um, yeah. Yeah. Open source. Uh, can you just define that for me? Okay. So, um, it's the easiest way is thinking of it, the difference between a Mac and a PC. 
So with a Mac, it's closed source. All the software is built. You really can't interact with it on a cellular level. You have it, the operation system set up and you go. Uh, If you know how the software works and how to code, you can really create any software you want and it can go any direction you want. You have, as long as you know the symbols and how the symbols work and how to interact with the machines, um, it's open source. Oh, cool. And so when I think of like um, just other forms of spirituality that have more structured rules, like you need to do it this way, you need to bow at this time, um, or other forms of mysticism uh, where there's like specific mantras maybe to chant, um, or practices. Astrology doesn't, astrology to me is like yoga. Like astrology doesn't care. It's just there. You can interact with it if you want. You don't have to. And there's no way that astrology cares if you interact with it. It doesn't care. You could use any house system. Astrology doesn't give a shit. As long as you stick to what the planets mean, um, you know, within a certain degree of accuracy, there's no rules that it cares about. Um, it ha- It's a body of knowledge and you get to do with it what you want. Yeah, I also consider it a map, and you can follow it if you want. <laughs> you don't have to stick to the map. Um, there's different paths you can take on the map. There's different elevations, or you can go any, either way. It, it's your choice. <laughs> Which direction are you going to go? And astrology can help with that. I love the idea of calling it a map, and I think that's super accurate. Um, but it's, you know, you could build from it whatever you want. I mean, there are people who have built empires with it. Yeah. Nothing but the body of knowledge and their ability to talk about it. They're people who heal other people with it. They come in and they do um, counseling. Mm-hmm. There are whole se- there are religions of of millions on millions of people who use astrology to path out their karma and how they're going to live their life. Um, so it's it's there's no limit to to its applications. Limitless for sure. Open source mysticism. And then um, <laughs> another thing. And maybe we will hesitantly tread into political territory here. Um, is bias, and one thing that almost made me walk away from astrology a few years ago. There was a big presidential election, and ninety percent or something of astrologers were predicting that who is currently in office was no way was that person going to win. It was all over magazine covers, front page, everything. Astrologers were like, "Not going to happen." And I back then intuitively knew he was going to win. I just knew it. And I could not believe all these things I was reading. And in my interpretation of that, that was the astrologer's bias getting in the way of actual astrology. And you might disagree with me here because we didn't have the other candidates birth time, you said. Um, but that that's that concerns me in astrology is the bias. And I don't know if it's talked about enough. So <clears throat> I, I don't know that bias is the right term here. This is why. When you're making a prediction using astrology, what you have to use is the the chart, um, how you're going to use astrology, and then um, the information you have. And this is why it's so important when you're working with a client to talk about their story and help them understand it using the symbols that the sky provides. Uh, As opposed to just looking at a chart and saying, there's a transit, this is exactly what's going to happen. So the, a great example is your Saturn seventh house transit when you got married. Um, so there are a couple ways to interpret it. It's definitely a very focused transit that's going to take place over you know nearly a three-year period. 
And in that three-year period, we're going to see topics that relate to relationships. There's no question that that is going to be a focus and Saturn's going to have something to do with it. But there are kind of two ways to look at how that could play out. One is you have Saturn coming through your seventh house. If you're in a relationship, Saturn could restrict it. It could show you the limits and the barriers. It could end up as a tough patch during that the, the life of that relationship because now there are boundaries and restrictions and, and karma's coming back. You know, things you didn't do right or do the way Saturn wants you to popping back up. Another way to look at it is you're someone who um, who needs structure in relationships. And now when you have or thrives on it, someone maybe whose chart is in some ways ruled by like Saturn, you know, for instance, you have a Capricorn sun. Well, yeah, I am friends with Saturn. Usually Saturn to the seventh isn't so comfortable for people, right. but it was, it was for me. I mean, I, I took more responsibility in a relationship, my, the structure and my name changed. And even, uh, I, I consider Saturn related to commitment. Um, getting married is a big commitment. So that was my Saturn transit, but normally uh, people, I, you know, you see Saturn coming in like, oh, I got some challenges coming up in your relationship. But it was it was a great transit for me. So the point is that without additional context from the native, right. um, you can't predict what's going to happen. You don't know what maybe if the person's in a relationship and you know how the other person that relationship functions and maybe a little bit about their history, you can help use those symbols to guide them. Well, these are some of the topics and things that are going to come up. These are some key times where they're going to be more acute. Um, I feel the same way about predictions when they come up uh, mundanely. So now if you're going to predict an earthquake, um, obviously you're probably going to pick a region where earthquakes take place. So if there's never been an earthquake in um, Florida and Uranus is moving into Taurus um, and you're going to predict an earthquake, you're probably going to pick a place where they happen. Like there's going to be an earthquake in California or Japan. Just Mm-hmm. With the presidential election, people took into account all of the information that was coming from the outside. The information was um, the guy currently in the office has a 20% chance of winning. Now, that's a huge chance of winning almost anything else. If you had a 20% chance of winning the lottery, you would never stop buying lottery tickets. But we, we haven't seen in the modern era someone with that low a probability winning the presidency. Um, and you could take any of the other BS you want to into account, but there was a, the statistics were telling us there was a predominant chance that, that the guy that's now president wasn't going to be. And in fact, he, he got 4 million votes less than the other person. Yeah. And even statistics, yeah, well, statistics could even, were biased because of history. Statistics usually make sense and we can uh, predict using even statistics, who's going to win an election. But people were trying to do it with an astrology. And I think there was so much bias um, and who they want to get into office played a part. And that's any kind of reading you do. Like if you have a fight with your spouse and you sit down with someone going through relationship problems, are you going to do the reading differently that day? Um, it's so hard, I think, to step back and st stay objective and not get your personal feelings mixed in but it's maybe it's impossible because we're human and we have egos but and we're viewing their that person through our own personal chart you know we, it's an energy exchange uh it's something that concerns me uh, especially a couple of years ago i thought i almost walked away from astrology just because i was kind of disgusted with the black and white this is what's going to happen and i think the language needs to change 
I don't uh, I don't know that many people who use that kind of language. There certainly is the case that traditional astrology does. And I know for a fact, um, Robert Schmidt, who is now of blessed memory, um, was famous for giving people black and white. Yeah. Like this will happen okay. then. Um, kind of just like kind of terrifying. He was yeah. And a polyglot, super smart. And he would just like, you know, people, people would go through the ringer uh, sitting down with the great Robert Schmidt. Um, but uh, just getting back to the idea of, of additional information, I definitely think bias people can be too close to the situation, but I also think that when you're looking at a chart, especially for a really big call like that, um, there are always things in a chart that offer mitigation. So you can say this, the, you know, this is close. We're looking both ways. We don't have as much information as we want. We don't have someone's birth time. But this thing that looks like it could tip that way, you know, if I if I look at this other negative omen and given all the data I have outside, I can see how that's going to be um, what we point to. I would also say that I don't know that it was that high that 90 percent of astrologers said um, the current uh, office holder was going to win the presidency. I do know that at, at UAC, UAC was held that year. Um, everyone on the panel, all four of them. Um, did uh, predict the, the the person who is not currently president to have won. Uh, but there was a ton of BS involved in that. And I think that that's where some of those headlines came from because that morning, somebody came out and said that they actually had the birth time, the missing birth time. And it turned out this person was not reliable. So oh. given that birth time that morning, and they were supposed to work that in with what they were doing, um, and I also would like to talk about in that case, particularly, I'm getting down a rabbit hole here. That's okay. There are different ways to make prediction, right? So some use yeah. electional astrology, um, and say, this is what's happening at this time. This is how it applies to these two birth charts. Someone could just compare the two birth charts and their progress charts and say, there are more good omens in this person's chart that relate to being someone of authority. And this person is going through a, a down period. They can look at, um, even uh, just comparing the charts and seeing how they clash together and who's going to come out. And finally, you could do a horary chart. You, you could ask a question and see the outcome. Um, the panel in question, basically uh, three of them did it the same way, and they tried to use two different birth times for one person. And the, the last person, um, I don't even recall, but I, it, it was a big deal with the UAC panel. Um, and I subsequently, I've talked to a number of astrologers who clearly said that they thought the current occupant was going to win. One of whom, uh, it was, it was Wade caves during a lecture at UAC and, and Wade is a really an expert in eclipses and that eclipse that fell right on the current occupants first house. Yeah. Wade's in Wade's like, this is definitely happening. Like this is too powerful an event too close to the election. Yeah. And I, mm, sorry, go ahead. No, I, that's, that's really, I just wanted to say, talk about that particular, um, set of predictions i wanted to point out how um you know astrology isn't bulletproof it's an it's a tool and an aid if it were bulletproof i'd be a billionaire because <laughs> stocks and um although some people do financial astrology that's they do yeah um but i don't know any billionaire financial astrologers either uh although i think some do a very good job uh yeah 
Um, so let's, uh, more personal now. Do you find yourself doing readings, your bias, like kind of sneaking in or how do you, do you have a kind of personal ethical code so you stay objective or how do you work around that? Or do you, is it a non-issue for you? I'm super, I don't know. Um, I, I tend to, tr- I, I, I am a little Spock-like in that I don't necessarily emotionally bond with the people who I'm reading for. Um, the issue I do have is if it's someone I know at times, like a, a relative, I don't, I don't read for relatives anymore. And the reason is I don't feel as open to discuss certain topics. I mean, we already have a pre-existing relationship based on a whole other set of understandings. So like, you know, geez, you have Uranus conjunct uh, Venus in your seventh house. Some kinky sex coming up for you. I mean, it's be <laughs> awkward. Um, so I don't, I think maybe that's a form of bias, but really for me, it's like a, a, a restriction on my freedom to communicate. And I don't care for that. I don't think that works as well. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't read for friends and family uh, too much anymore because I can't, it's hard for me to see. So even my own husband's chart, I can see, you know, timelines of things coming, but my, I just can't interpret them because I'm so emotionally involved with him. It's like nothing works. Like, I, like I, like nothing. Um, usually I'm great with clients. I don't know. I, I prefer that somebody walking in that I have no idea who they are. My intuition can, you know, kick on and I can be objective, but with someone I am so super close to, I have trouble seeing the chart like I normally do. And also I'm kind of a, I got moon and Neptune the seventh. I want everyone to be happy and in love. So if someone comes in and says, when, when is he or she going to show up? Um, I want them. I want that person to show up. And for friends, I have trouble. Like I will look harder than I normally do with other clients to find that window of when someone could enter their life. Cause I want it so bad for them. So that's hard for me to kind of rein that back and be objective and be like, Oh, sorry. Uh, I don't see anything for, you know, seven, eight years. <laughs> I still feel kind of bad saying that for people I really, really care about. So that's the kind of bias that I have trouble with. Um, and again, I don't read, uh, do paid readings for friends or family or anything like that. I'll look at a chart and give timelines, but, um, yeah, I, I, I have trouble, um, especially with my husband's and other, even my brother's chart. It's hard for me to see it with an objective pair of eyes. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Um, I don't know if you have the same thing with your kids. Um, I don't have kids, so maybe that's like you're so involved in their lives and you kind of, their personalities are so forming. Um, or do you stay away from your kids' charts? Well, I, I, I don't, what I try to not do is, step into my relationship with my children with pre-existing expectations based on their birth chart sometimes reflect on it and i I try to kind of use them as guinea pigs in some ways like oh this is how a libra rising is growing up and uh and interacting with the world that type of thing i try to use it reflectively though yeah like chiron and aquarius right right i think you got yeah (laughs) on the other hand um like my son and i so i have uh, gemini rising and he has gemini on the descendant uh-huh. So we, uh, his descendant really talks about our relationship in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. As you well know, Mars is currently transiting Gemini. Um, and especially early in the transit, there were some fiery exchanges between the two of us. Um, and he's been feisty and, and more emotional, just getting hot and fired up. Uh, yeah. Quickly. So especially regarding relationships. So, so that's been helpful. Been knowing ahead of time, like you need to come into this with cool, calming words 
you know, the way. Oh, I agree with calm them down. Yeah. I agree with that a thousand percent. Astrology can help you just deal with day to day life. Oh, it's such a great tool. Um, you know, you can see what's coming. You know, you're, you, you know, you might be triggered that day. <laughs> so anything more mindful you can do, you can, like, I love being able to see things coming. I don't know what that thing is, but it like actually helps me because I'm a Capricorn and I'm a planner. Maybe people, not everyone wants that. I don't want to know what's coming. Um, but for me, again, this probably goes back to a Capricorn and lots of Virgo on my chart, but I like to know that the themes and the structure of what's upcoming and I can deal with it proactively. And I, um, I read a great, great quote and I can't remember who it was from, but the quote was astrology gives you permission to be yourself and think about you talking about your desire for structure and knowing where things are coming from and talking about the significant placements you have in Capricorn and Virgo two earth signs that mm-hmm. hold things in their hands, feel them out, examine them, um, one wants to build, the other wants to really understand. Um, at some point in your life, you might have felt like, why, why do I need to be in control of everything? It might have even overwhelmed you like, and made you a little persnickety, like, no, I need to be in control. Anxiety.com. Yeah, right. And <laughs> astrology um, helps you understand that I'm going to feel more comfortable just based on how I exist in the world if I know what's going on and have a little control over things. It just, it gives you permission to be that way. And then you can deal with it as opposed to fight it. Yeah, I still, even just learning about Capricorn and them being control freaks, just learning that I'm like, wow, that is me. And I've actually been able to let go of so much control because it was detrimental to me and my mental health being anxious all the freaking time. Um, Because I've learned now, the older I get, I can't control anything really except my own reaction to things. So just knowing that I might have a reaction to things coming up has helped me do that. Cause I think that's the only thing I can control. Um, we all can control. We can't control what the universe is going to throw to us, but we can control how we react to those things. That makes a ton of sense. What was our last topic we were going to chew on? Okay. So the next topic is, um, another kind of rabbit hole, hot topic <laughs> in astrology is Vedic versus modern. And we use, the signs and the seasons and not the constellations for our astrology. So I wanted to ask you, Kip, how you landed on doing astrology this way versus the Vedic route. Because if you see a Vedic astrologer, uh, maybe you've had clients come to see you like, hey, they told me I'm a Sagittarius and you're telling me I'm another sign. Um, So how, Kip, how did you land on doing astrology this way versus using the constellations? Like, for example, Vedic astrologers do. It was, this is just what was introduced to me first. Yeah. Uh, also agree that it makes the most sense, at least to me. Yeah. Um, and I, I know that there are Vedic astrologers who use the uh, Western Zodiac. Um, so really? The, the difference is that uh, Vedic astrology uses the constellations um, to map out the houses. Yeah. The yeah. The houses, the, the signs. signs. And... Basically, they started Aries, but then they just use 30 degrees. So it doesn't even really map out the signs because I think Virgo is like actually Virgo like, is 45, some, 40, yeah. it's 45 degrees. So they're actually not using the constellations, I think, accurately. Um, again, this is not my expertise. Uh, Gemini Brett has a lot to say about it, but I, that's where I learned most of this. But they've done that all the time. And we, you know, we start Aries at the spring 
equinox. That is right. the first day of Aries, and we make this nice little 30-degree slice of the sky, but it it works. Like, it really does. I actually had someone come in and say, you know, this Vedic astrologer said I was all this Leo, and then I should be an actress. And she's like, uh, that didn't land with me. And I looked at her chart. I'm like, no, that I don't, I don't see that. She was so not I, was, she was, I can't remember what it was, but it was like, she was like, not, not me. And I've actually honestly never looked at my Vedic chart. Have you looked at yours? Yeah, I've seen it. I don't recall. Okay. Do you remember if it resonated? You're like, oh, that makes sense. I could go that way. I, a lot of what they do is different. So I, yeah. I it did resonate because I'd be applying tools that I use. Uh, some things that I think Vedic astrology does amazing is, um, first of all, there are, are different yogas and what that means. Yeah. There are gods that represent specific um, alignments in the chart. So one one example being um, a Mars-Saturn hard aspect that's really close or a conjunction in opposition, especially a conjunction, is called death god yoga um, with, uh, I forget the name of the god, but there's just a ton of rich mythical symbolism behind that too. And I think a lot of that is great. And also um, they use lunar mansions and mm. tits, yeah. Uh, think they do it great like their lunar work is next level so um there's a ton about uh vedic or joytisha that i think is amazing and i want to know way more about. yes my next professional reading will probably be with a vedic or joytish astrologer um because i've had plenty with modern astrologers but i really want to even just get a birth chart reading for myself uh from that a uh, way of thinking and way of interpreting a chart just to see if it lands with me um, or if I might want to pick it up. I do have a couple of Vedic astrology books on my shelf. I have not read any of them yet, but I do, like you, I would just want to learn it all. Like, give me all of the information and I can, you know, we'll make our own astrology. That's what all astrologers end up doing, kind of uh, merging uh, the schools of thought that, they, that resonate with them and making it their own mix. Um, a lot of Vedic astrology, to my understanding, is extremely similar to Hellenistic astrology in that they use the nakshatras, mm -hmm. which your life up into periods of time, kind of examining it um, like chapters in a book. Whereas with um, Hellenistic astrology, there are a lot of techniques um, called zodiacal releasing, where you release from certain lots and the lots are the re relationship spots between, say, the sun and the moon. Um, the, the, uh, I believe it's the moon and Venus is the lot of Eros, which is love. So there's all these different spots and then it's released and in other words, it tells the story of your life in these specific areas uh, based on these timing techniques, um, which is really fascinating. I've used especially um, Zodalka releasing from the lot of spirit in, in readings quite a bit. Um, but my point is that there are similarities to some Western practices yeah. a lot, and um, that there's just it's a whole different way of relating to the practice of astrology. Yep, for sure. Uh, there is a talk on zodiacal releasing in Minneapolis in June, which I am going to be front row and center for that one because I am uneducated on how to do that. So I'm excited for that talk. It's a Minnesota Stars uh, NCGR event. I'm, uh, I'm sharing this uh, because I, I know you don't always listen to the astrology podcast, but Chris Brennan, who you know literally wrote the book on Hellenistic yeah. Astrology, there's a four-hour um, pod just really recently they did on zodiacal releasing. It's a ton. It's a four hour pod. Is there a video with it? I feel yeah. like I would need a visual. Um, it's on uh, YouTube. Okay. Um, 
his actual lecture that please go purchase it if you're interested. But his actual lecture, I think, is 19 hours on Sadako releasing. So, <laughs> so Chris gets <laughs> my Gemini rising has trouble with attention span, but I could do it piecemeal. <laughs> That's crazy. That's very detailed. So my Virgo will like it, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll I'll get there. Like I said, there's just so much to learn. What do I learn next? Um, and plus, trying to run a business, it gets overwhelming. But I will get there someday. So I think when I one of the critiques you hear from outside the astrology community is the idea that, oh, you don't even know where Aries is because you're using a whole, you're saying it's in the spring and the sun's not even in Aries. Nice face. <laughs> course, because what, what I'm hearing from that person is, oh, I don't understand. Yeah. Astrology works. And so I'm going to apply this whole different set of understandings onto astrology. You're using the term Aries to talk about a constellation Aries that, um, you know, school children see when they go out on field trips. What I'm saying is that Aries season starts on the first day of spring mm-hmm. and enters Aries and lasts uh, until it enters Taurus, the second season of spring. Um, and it's based on the equinoxes and the solstices. So it's really consistent. But the whole thing is based on the amount of light that reaches the earth at any given time during the year. The end. <laughs> it's not based on where the, the constellations are. Now, I'm not also not um, pushing away stars. I think fixed stars are incredibly important. Uh, I use the four f- royal fixed stars in more readings that, uh, initially than I use uh, the, the three outer planets that are so prevalent in Western astrology. If I see a tight aspect to any of those four stars, um, it always comes up. Okay. Yeah, that's how I circled back. I use our star, our sun, and how the light of our sun is hitting our planet. That's how I set up my house systems and my signs. Um, we're part of a gigantic galaxy, but this astrology is for earthlings and how the earth and the other planets and our sun, not other suns so much are hitting us. So that's what kind of cemented it for me. And if you think of some of the representations of those, um, signs, they, they match up to that theme. So Aries, uh, it, it's fierce and it, um, it's warrior like. Uh, it heats things up. It's ruled by Mars. It's the first sign of spring. Mm-hmm. It's the snow melting. You see the first plants push up and warrior through the soil and reach the sky. You get to Taurus. Taurus is when there's lots of lush green grass. It's it's the bull. It's it's the bovine wandering to the field and eating the fresh shoots and laying in the cool grass and getting struck by the sun. You get to Leo. Leo's ruled by the sun. It's the hottest time of year. It's when people are out in full display. They're tanned. They've got um, their hair cut just like they like it. It, it really is um, a time of, of strutting your stuff and of the sun being in full force. But so, not in the Southern Hemisphere. So that's another kind of like kick there. And I have no explanation for why it works on the entire planet. This is a big topic. Yeah. There are more people living in the Northern Hemisphere. That's true. Or in the Southern Hemisphere. I have talked, I got to talk to a, an astrologer from Brazil, UAC, which really, she was an amazing, cool. Uh, just right up in your face, really cool. Um, and she just dismissed it. It still works, is what she said. <laughs> it does. It really does. But uh, I, needless to say, this is something I, I don't feel like I'm set up to talk towards. Yes. Um, there's more conversation, I think, happening with it. And I don't know... Um, 
in the Southern Hemisphere, how many ancient cultures had their own astrology? I'm sure there was, even with the pyramids. Um, actually, I think Mexico is north of the equator. Um, so that's something I want to dive into you know, in one of my binges that I go on, Southern Hemisphere astrology and what ancient cultures, if any, established it. Uh, even in Australia, I wonder if the Aborigines had their own star system. That would be really good for me to know. I believe it was moon-based. Really? Uh, the Incas, um, so the, you know, the really giant um, civilization from South America, they had, they they did, a, they call it astronomy in the history books, but astrology. Okay. Um, and, you know, they were a conglomeration of many different civilizations or, or, you know, kind of the, uh, the Greek empire of the time. So that chances are, it goes back even further. Yes. No, I love ancient stuff. So I'll be reading some books and maybe we can do that on book club uh, later down the road. Ooh, that'd be fun. Yeah, it would be kind of fun. Well, that's all I had for topics. Unless you want to throw any other tidbits out. No, I think that was great. Um, uh, okay. I like these uh, loose back and forth conversations we get to have. They're fun. Yes, I will find all the controversies and then bring them up on the pod. That's what we can just discuss them. That's what I'm trying to do. All the hot, hot button topics in astrology and what we both think of them. Okay, well, I will sign us off. Uh, we'd like to thank July Fighter for our opening and closing music. Please check out July Fighter of Minneapolis on any music streaming service. You can find Kip and I uh, at thebasementastrologers.com. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and we are also on Patreon. We would love just a buck a month thrown at us so we can keep this pod going. Um, it's fun to do, and we keep coming up with new topics and new books to read. So please log into our Patreon account. It's just slash Basement Astro. Um, and if you have any topics that you'd like us to talk about on the pod, please send us an email. It's thebasementastrologers at gmail.com. Good night, Earthlings. <laughs> <laughs>